0: Welcome birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. On this episode, as with many of my previous episodes, I'm recording remotely. My guest is at their own personal space, usually at their own home or work, and I'm at my home. So no problem with this COVID-19 social distancing in terms of this episode or many episodes of the Bird Banner Podcast. Another you know not so horrible thing is that a lot of what we do as birders involves being in the open air not being in crowded places, and not necessarily needing to be real close to anybody else. Even birding in a small group can be done with good social distancing. And so as long as you don't ride in the same vehicle or travel in the same mode of transportation to get to a spot, we can even go birding with a buddy. And so that's one possible outlet for the birding community. Anyway, I'm really happy to have as my guest today Ryan Merrill. Ryan is an extraordinary birder. He's on the Bird Records Committee. He's an eBird reviewer. He's a rear bird finder supreme. He finds more rear birds than anybody I know uh, and is just always helpful and such a friendly and helpful uh, birder and person to know. So I'm really happy that he took time away from his busy working at home, at least right now working at home because of the COVID-19 issue, Uh, from being a dad and providing child care today, we're doing this episode while his less than two-year-old takes a nap. So that works out beautifully. I'm really happy Ryan could be on as my guest today. Help me welcome Ryan Merrill to the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 53. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me, Ed. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. I've you have been uh, probably the biggest hole in my uh, top Washington birders not being on the podcast yet. All, all has to do with being a new dad.
1: Yeah, yeah, it takes uh, it takes up a fair amount of my time these days. So.
0: It is. It's <laughs> impressive how much you do with family and job. I'm, uh, you know, e- ebird reviewer. Uh, uh, they don't call it Rare Bird Committee, what do they call it? Re- bird Records Review uh, Committee, records all of that stuff yeah. is uh, yeah. impressive that you uh, still find uh, find the time and devotion to do that. I like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's getting getting harder, but um, but still sticking with most of it.
0: I appreciate it. So Ryan, I like to start these podcasts by sort of hearing your birding story. T- tell, tell us, how did you get into birding and how did it all get going for you?
1: Um, let's see. Well, I guess I've always... Enjoyed being outside in general, Then um, my, my mom had a bit of an interest in birds, nothing serious, but she was probably the biggest source of inspiration for that. Like I, My earliest bird memory was um, driving to kindergarten, and my mom saw a pileated woodpecker that flew across and landed next to the road, so we actually pulled over and took a look at it. Um, but I didn't really start birding until um, second grade. And, uh, Got a
0: late start. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just um, joking. Second grade.
1: So we uh, lived very close to a great um, park. We need a Bay Park in Kirkland, in um, our, in the Seattle area, and um, we we're just a couple blocks away. And they do do a monthly nature walk down there, and so we went down as a family. And the, the person leading the trip was pointing out all these birds, and um, that seemed pretty neat. So. Um, and my mom had a field guide, kind of a basic field guide to the Northwest, but it had a lot of the common birds in it. So that sure. was my my first time birding. Um, and then intermittently, maybe once a month or now and then, I'd go back to the park and see, like, look up what I what I saw down there. Um, I the first birds I sort of started learning were the the ducks, since there were there's some nice boardwalks down there, and you can get good views of them and i remember looking straight down at what i thought was a mallard except then i saw the bill was so totally different and it had this big um bulging area toward the tip that um, Mm -hmm. um, ended up being a northern shoveler oh so that was that was a um, fun bird to discover and identify myself um Waterfowl are great uh,
0: beginner birds for any birder. I think they're big, they're easy to find, they sit still. Uh, yeah, so. and,
1: and most most of the year they're they're not too hard to identify.
0: <laughs> and the females can be a challenge for beginners, so uh, <laughs> not a Definitely. beginner sometimes. So it's uh it's a great way to start.
1: Good. Yeah, and it was just kind of a slow progression from there. Kind of looking up birds whenever my family went somewhere. Um, I got a Peterson Field Guide sometime in that next year, and then um, but. It was, uh, I remember a lot of, um, kind of struggling with some birds that are easy to identify now, but as a beginner, when you don't really know what you're doing, um, it's harder, hard to know what you're seeing. So I remember debating and looking at, um, song sparrows versus fox sparrows, which are pretty similar looking in the Northwest. Um, they're both For sure. brown, um, and one of one of the most dramatic stories in that department is um, I was up skiing, um, I think it was skiing at the time, up at Stevens Pass, and I saw this um, bird that was dark above and white below, and and I was, I hadn't seen it before. So that night I got back and looked in the field guide and um, had, had it narrowed down to two species, either a gray jay, um, which is Canada mm-hmm. jay now, or a right. uh, white-breasted nuthatch, <laughs> and I was going back and forth and back and forth and and finally I, I settled on yeah I I, I definitely um, the bird I saw was a white breast in that hatch
0: very um, nice in
1: Washington which of course that's a good it, which bird. of course it wasn't it was a great oh, okay day, but, yeah. um, <laughs> which I realized that years later but that was kind of how my birding went for um, until I was in high school uh, and then in high school I got on I got connected onto tweeters. Uh, mm-hmm. which is the Washington bird birding listserv and right started seeing that people are seeing these other birds in the field guide that I never saw and that there's um, a lot of birds around that and different places around that I hadn't been so that kind of um, instigated me getting more serious about it and and I started going to look look for some of the birds that got reported and in that process I met some other birders um, yeah
0: Talking about other birders, you were kind of part of a, a really, uh, really good group of young birders uh, at the time. I, I, Ryan Shaw's a little older than you. I don't know how much old, but Charlie Wright's got to be more or less your age. And Annie Myers, just yeah, a group yeah. that I'm kind you of guys a, were just right all
1: in over between the place. Um, Ryan's a couple of years older. Charlie's a few years younger. Um, okay. But yeah, ended up, uh, let's see. So I ended up meeting them kind of the end of high school. Um, and then also getting involved with Seattle Audubon had a has a high school birding program. It was called Birdwatch at the time, and I believe it has a new name now. But got to meet some other um, young birders in the Seattle area at the time too, which was really fun. Um, Tyler Davis and Colin Therene. Um and as part of that, there were monthly field trips, and uh, we did a spring break trip to Florida, uh, which was really fun and memorable and um and then yeah ended up meeting i was actually going up into the Capitol forest which is maybe an hour and a half south of seattle right i'm looking for hermit warblers which i'd never seen and driving Mm -hmm. around the the middle of the forest no one around dodging the logging trucks (laughs) Uh, i don't even remember seeing those that day. maybe maybe it's a
0: weekend you must have been on a weekend
1: uh, probably yeah um and i see a car in front of me and it turns out they were birders and um, I got introduced to them, and it was Charlie Wright and Ryan Shaw, um, who I hadn't met before. Um, okay. And then they uh, were like, oh, come on, follow us. We're going to look for hermit warblers, too, and ended up um, seeing my first hermit warblers that day. And then um, we kept in touch and then went birding more in the future. So
0: um, Nice. Nice. Yeah. It was a good good choice to go there that day. Definitely. Things things work out sometimes. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Ryan, did you go away to college, or did you go to college locally?
1: Uh, I ended up going to um, Boston College back in the Boston area. So, oh okay, um, that was two thousand two until two thousand six. So okay, was back there for four years. Um, was here most of the summers, though. The I think the last summer, but. Be- between my junior and senior year, I ended up staying back there and um, working at Monomoy National Wildlife Refuge. I got an okay. I think it was an internship, or it was a um, kind of lower-level field technician job there, um, monitoring the the turn colony. Um, they have a massive turn colony back there. At the time, it was about ten thousand pairs of common terns, and oh wow, they had a. Um, I think a few dozen pairs of roseate turns, which, um, and then lease turns. And that was mm-hmm. just a um, absolutely great spot, it sounds experience. like. Uh, yeah.
0: Did you study and... uh, ornithology or biology, or what did you study?
1: Um, I ended up majoring in biology. I, um, yeah. And I wasn't necessarily going to major in. Um, like planning on doing birds for a career necessarily, though, as I was getting more and more into it, I wanted to do that more and more. So right. I did, did major in biology, but the wildlife program at BC was somewhat limited. I, I did, um, they did have some courses um, and then I was able to supplement that with a study abroad programs in bio, biology and conservation and very ecology and conservation.
0: Um, nice nice so did did uh did you you did a lot of birding when you're on the east coast is that when you met uh nick banano uh oh yeah butchering his name is that when you Um, met him when you're in college or was that after that
1: yeah about about halfway through college because he was also going to school in the boston area and um, i didn't have a car so i was a lot more limited in where i could go Um, sure but after we actually really met down in new zealand um
2: Oh, because
1: I was down there for the study abroad program and we were both uh, signed up for the same pelagic trip. Um, oh, cool. And then he had been in Australia at the same time, but after his program ended, he came over to New Zealand for a few weeks. So we ended up being out on the same pelagic trip and um, went birding for a couple days after that together and then stayed in touch and went birding a bunch um, the my senior year back there. Um. um and yeah, with his extra access, access to a car, we were able to get out to to some more exciting places. Um, which was nice. Exciting. I uh,
0: I somehow I, heard, I I think I saw his. does he have the Shorebirder blog or something yeah, like yep, that? I yep. I found his blog and I looked him up last summer and had him on as a guest. And he mentioned he knew you. I says, "Wow, it's a small world." So that's cool. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. He's actually been out here burning a few times. Um, Shortly after graduating college he came out for a week and we just spent the whole week birding here. Um, went over into eastern Washington for a few days and had a really fun time.
0: Yeah. This is a, this is an exotic place for an East Coast bird or we've got some birds here that you can't find other places.
1: Oh yeah. And also uh, one of the great things about Washington is that the birding is really good here year round. Um, it is. Like all through winter you can you can see hundred species in the weekend. Um, or sometimes even a day, um, yeah. If if that's your goal, and, and certainly seeing a lot of birds too, which is not the case in New England in the winter. Um, no,
0: I, I grew up in Maine. You know, if you oh yeah, you yeah, see a, a yeah. cardinal and a chickadee, you've had a good day. Right. It yeah, and it's like. so
1: cold back there too. It's um, yeah, it's it is. It not is, not is brutal. A very motivating to. Uh, to get out back there especially when you don't it have is. a car to go out to the coast so
0: yeah i jokingly tell tell people here that you know that it's good birding all year except maybe the two middle weeks of july
1: <laughs> so, oh yeah so, yeah and that's I mean, a fabulous time for the mountains so. yeah
0: it is
2: it so is it's,
1: uh, yeah locally you, you you may need to travel somewhere to get to a really interesting place but but there's always somewhere somewhere yeah. in washington that's good to go
0: it is. It is. Yeah, that's, you can go to the mountains. It's a great time to go to the mountains, but yeah, you know, in general, the the it, that's a, the lull in migration is a, mm, <laughs> northbound mm. birds are done, and the southbound birds haven't started for about about two weeks. And you're right. I, I that's I'm always in the mountains at that time, so there is no yeah. bad time to come birding here.
1: No, really, and <laughs> and even the shorebirds, the shorebirds will start around June twentieth, the first ones.
2: Yeah, um, yeah,
1: and then by by the time you get into July, you're almost to the peak of adults for southbound migration. So
0: yeah, it is uh, it is amazing. It's, uh, it's really uh, so it, it's uh, great to have a a nice place to be. It's also a great place to get away from for a little bit in the winter.
1: <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not that it's not just fine birding, but you get sick of. I get sick of the rain every now and then.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, I think it's something that like growing up here. I don't mind it as much as a lot of people, but I think it would be really hard to move here and and last the entire winter, most years, without uh, having a break here and there.
0: Yeah, it, it's nice. I got a chance to go to Texas for a month this winter and just had so much fun. It was really cool.
1: Oh, that, that would be a great spot to go.
0: Yeah. Bruce Labar and Ken Brown came down with me for 10 days or nine days, and we just had oh, such better. a fun time. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. Uh, so tell me about ebird reviewing i have to say when i when i uh and it's not a rare thing for me to submit an mistaken bird uh, mm-hmm. when i uh, uh submit something that's questionable i always love it when you're the person who responds because i learn something every time i mean oh, you, you, you just Great. uh it's always such constructive uh, constructive way to slap me down
1: <laughs> well i'm glad to glad to hear you appreciate it um, get a Mixed responses sometimes, but um, generally it's positive. Um, yeah, so we have a whole team of eBird reviewers in Washington. It's about eight people maybe review statewide. Um, mm-hmm. Charlie Wright was the initial eBird reviewer back in I think the late two thousands when
2: mm-hmm.
1: eBird was a lot more primitive than it is now. Right, and it's it's uh, grown in its complexity and its popularity and everything, and it's really quite a wonderful tool these days.
0: Um, it is fabulous, but it's got to be a lot of work to, to review. I mean, I, I just saw the report of, I think it was 13 willets at uh, dunes peninsula and
1: you know, I mean, oh, you have
0: to respond. I mean, I don't, I'm sure I don't
1: think I've seen that one yet, but it, it uh, just
0: popped up on my uh, uh, okay. needs list for Pierce County <laughs> yep. uh, today. So, I mean, I'm sure they were Dunland, but yeah, the description. Sounded like that. But and they have been there. But anyway, it was uh yeah, it's just a lot of work to find all of those uh sightings and uh
1: Yeah. Well yeah. a lot of um there they're the filters set up. Um so back ten years ago, I think there were only maybe three filters for Washington. There was one for Western Washington, one for eastern Washington, um I don't know, there may have been one or two others, but very crude and then that's grown in complexity so now almost every county has their own we have i think 36 filters in washington for the 39 counties very nice Um, and then they the counties the filters used to be limited to a month so like a bird could be flagged in march or like flagged starting june 1st or or July yeah, 1st, whatever. Right. But
0: now you can do it um, right to for the For a day. bird that
1: arrives halfway through the month, that wasn't very useful. And it was really a problem because it would become common halfway through the month. I guess exactly. April is the biggest month for this. But um, so that changed a while back, maybe six or eight years ago, um, where now you can set a specific date. And you can divide the year up into maybe 12 different segments, so um, birds that are really common during migration would have a pretty high threshold, and then there might be a few around in the winter, so you would want to have the the filter limit set pretty low, and then if they're pretty much not around in the summer, um, you'd probably set it to zero then, just for example. Right.
0: Um, yeah. So, do the do the state reviewers set those? Who who's in charge of that?
1: Yeah. Um, Charlie had set up the initial ones, and then I've worked a lot with him on refining those. And um, it's kind of a continual process because there are so many different um, taxa that are involved. Um, right. There's 36 filters, and they each there's somewhere between 500 and 600 taxa on each one. Um, That's and, a lot of variables. So yeah, sometimes that results in counties next to each other um, having where the actual status of the bird really isn't any different, uh, but the filters might be set differently. And until about a year ago, there wasn't any good way to compare filter to filter for a certain species. But then um, Dave Slager, who's one of the Washington eBird reviewers, he wrote a um, piece of code in R initially that compared... Species across different filters that the eBird team ended up adopting into the the reviewing dashboard um, nice. in the eBird site. So now that ability is um, for at least six months, probably a little bit longer, um, has been available. So that's been a huge help as far as um, making the filters more consistent. Very um, good. It's it's an ongoing process, though. Um, it is.
0: what's well, it's good to hear that that eBird empowers local slash regional uh experts to do the filters and they don't have to go all the way back through somebody there who has to do it i i I didn't really know how that worked
1: oh yeah yeah yep no um and they're set up by filter region which is usually a county um i've heard that there are a few areas like certain areas in california and i think other places where they have counties further divine divided uh more into habitat but they're they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out a um, good way to uh, implement that on a on a larger scale. Since right now it was very um, specific for those those cases, um, so at some point the filters will become more complex. But it's a yeah. pretty big undertaking That's for them to cool. do that. And they've they have a lot of different um, areas that they're working on improving. So.
0: It's fun to hear Dave Slager's name. I uh, I got invited to listen to his uh, PhD uh, dissertation. What do they call oh, it? Oh yeah, uh, this morning. Uh, this morning, so I listened to that this morning. It was, I I had he came and talked to our ABC Birding Club, and I was traveling when he talked. That so I missed that talk.
2: Oh okay. Uh,
0: yeah. And and so I've been kind of wanting to hear that data, and it was really fun to he it was. It's really fun to hear that today. Uh, for for those who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, that we have lots of crows here, and uh, uh, in Alaska, there's a species called Northwestern Crow, and throughout most of. America, if not North America, there oh, America, I guess, US, uh, there are American crows. Uh, and here in the Puget Sound area, there's intense hybridization. And the question is, do we really have any pure American or Northwestern crows here or not? And are they really one species? Are they really two species? And how do you figure that out? And it's a whole dilemma for you know uh, taxonomy geeks. And uh, he, he did a nice job of presenting that. I, I was really fun.
1: Yeah, I was able to tune into that as well
0: and um I thought he did a really good job. I thought he did too. I was surprised I, you know, I, I remember I'm from a different generation and I, you know, I never got a PhD, but I hmm. I was had an honors project in college. It was a science, I was a chemistry major. I did an honors project and I had to present that in front of the whole uh, you know, department. And oh, yeah. oh my goodness, it was brutal. I mean, they were just challenging everything you had to say. And it was really, and probably in part because I wasn't, it <laughs> wasn't as prepared as he was, but, uh but no, it, it was, everyone was like that. They were just really, really challenging you to see if you knew what you're talking about. And uh this was yeah, very collegial. That's very. why
1: they call it um the PhD defense. Defense, says, right.
0: But this yeah. was, this was very oh, this collegial. Was our, yeah. I, I didn't, Uh, I chatted with, uh, Peter Wimberger from UPS after that. And I said, gosh, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. It was very collegial. There's no, no challenge. He says, oh, they retreat to a small conference after the rest (laughs) of us get (laughs) offline and have that stuff. I said, okay, well, that's good to know. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Ryan, did you, it seemed like that was more of the public presentation.
0: Yes, I think it was. Did you do any schooling after college? Have you done any graduate work?
1: Um, I have not actually done any graduate work. I um, So after college, I did, um, let's see, I did a couple seasons of bird work. Um, I spent the summer after graduating doing bird surveys in northern Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, breeding bird surveys. And then when I got back into Washington, I... Um, did a year of, uh, at sea marbled murrelet surveys on the outer coast, which oh, was wow. really fun. Um, love that job. And then that fall, I was looking for a temporary job to get me through the winter. Um, and I was applying for some different lab jobs since, um, with my degree in biology, I, it was right. a pretty well-rounded biology degree. So I had a lot of lab experience and ended up getting a, a job working for a biotech company in downtown Seattle that um, was initially a temporary job, but it turned into a full-time job, and it paid pretty well and was pretty was fairly flexible. I was able to do a lot of birding on my days off, so I ended up sticking with that for a couple of years. Um, nice working in the lab and then just birding in my free time um, until I got laid off a couple of years later. Um, and then I went back to field work. Um, timing was such I was able to get back on with um, Washington Fish and Wildlife doing the, the seabird surveys on the coast again and okay. did that for another four summers and some of the seasons it, that became more of a year-round job after a couple of years though so I also was doing some seasonal work with uh, the Nature Conservancy they had some some shorebird. Uh, shorebird habitat that they had created by flooding agricultural fields and um, creating this wonderful habitat for migrating shorebirds. So I was able to help with that project, Um, did that for a number of years. But then uh, let's see, in the, yeah, around 2013, my girlfriend at the time um, and wife now, she was planning to go back to Boston for grad school. Um, she was doing her business degree and um, mm-hmm. asked if I wanted to go. And I said, well, yeah, I, I could do that. And um, and then I was trying to figure out kind of a what I wanted to do long term since I, I love doing the field work and the different bird jobs. Um, it's really not much better than that, but um, it wasn't a great career for what I wanted long-term. I wanted to have a family and I wanted to live in the immediate Seattle area, um, which I probably would have, I might've been able to do with field work, but you'd have to be, it'd be a challenge. Yeah. You'd have to be away away for days at a time or be flexible or um, it wasn't what I was necessarily planning on doing long-term. So I ended up going when she was in school, I found an online program for computer science. Um, okay. And ended up getting a second bachelor's degree in computer science. Um, oh, okay. Well, we were back in Boston. And then um, I guess we were here in Seattle for the summer in between her two years. So I had an internship then and then uh, finished up the following year. And then um, so now I've been doing uh, computer programming for uh, several years now. Um, well, you're certainly
0: in a in a hotbed much. of that in the Seattle area this yeah, yeah. a million tech companies there
1: yeah and, and that's been and um, a really great situation um good feeling. it
0: works out really well in this uh covid 19 uh self uh social isolation so, social distancing excuse me uh time frame uh, where working from home is should work pretty well with that I would think
1: yeah so far so good yeah um it's Maybe not quite as convenient for a few things, but I've been able to do just about everything from um, from home so far. So
0: good, um, good. It's working out well. And uh, uh, and you know, I I want to talk a little bit about uh how how are you uh how are you finding uh how are you finding uh you know parenthood and work and birding? How are you holding up with that? Is that uh, that's got to be hard. I I remember when I I had young kids. Uh, you certainly are more more advanced and avid birder than I was at the time by a mile. Uh, but uh, you still seem to be really active. I'm, I'm impressed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, um, I've found a few spots that are really close to where I am. So um, I work in the north side of downtown Seattle in South Lake Union. And across the street is this little park um, at the south end of Lake Union. And it doesn't really look like much. There's a couple planter beds. There's a handful of trees, um, but most days I try to get out for a walk, walk around there for 20 minutes and nice. see if I can find any birds. And it's actually turned out to be pretty interesting. Um, it kind of reminded me of some of the parks that are back in Boston, where some of the birders who work downtown would would bird these um, little. Parks—they're tiny, little pocket, tiny parks, pieces yeah. of habitat. But because you're surrounded by such an urban area, you do get these weird birds that you would never expect showing up there. So, um, down in South lake Union, I've had a number of surprises, like a, a yellow-headed blackbird, um, Harris's sparrow, and swamp sparrow, and um, there was a roosting owl in a, a cedar tree there for a couple days. <laughs> um, Very cool. A number, a number of other birds that I would never have expected there, and and on a given day you you probably see maybe fifteen or twenty species, and they're pretty much what you'd expect most of the time. But um, when you go there a lot, uh, you end up seeing some surprises.
0: And and you keep your keep your uh, keep your eyes open and sharp, and and you know it's it's fun. And having a patch is really cool. I mean, having yeah. A... So
1: those I'm able to go there on days that I'm working. Um, And after my daughter was born, she's about 21 months now. um, About a year and a half ago, I was able to change my schedule to a 410 schedule. So I work. um, I have Tuesdays at home watching her. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nap time right now. So we're recording the podcast during her nap. Sleep, Um, baby, sleep. But almost every week, I think there's only been maybe one exception We've gone down to Carkeek Park, which is about a mile from our house, and mm-hmm. um, and done something down there where I'm keeping an eye out for birds, and she's maybe swinging on the swing, or she actually sure. really likes going down on the beach. And we were there this morning, and um, we were walking up the stairs on some of the trails. So um, yeah, so she's she's almost
0: a... two. She'll be she'll be all over that place soon, and you have found oh, yeah. some really good birds there. Uh, is did you find the uh uh the gull with the uh,
1: the swallowtail gull?
0: Swallowtailed gull?
1: I I did, yeah. Um, That's what I that, thought, yeah. That was unbelievable. Um still can't really believe it happened. Um and that was shortly after we moved to the neighborhood. I had only been to Karkike a handful of times before that and I I never thought of it as being a particularly interesting park. It's um um, mostly wooded. So there were some trails through the woods, but there wasn't weren't really any open areas and, and there was a small beach access. So, But I figured since it was so close, I I tried checking it before work and right. I had done it the week before and seen, uh, I think it was a couple hundred gulls and a couple of birds that were kind of moderately interesting. So I figured I'd try it again the next week. And that was the day I spotted that um, Bingo. before work. So Had you seen uh, that
0: in another part of the world, or did you just know it was something no, really unusual and have to look seen, it up?
1: And I uh, the only reason I knew what it was actually is it was featured on the cover of North American Birds about eight or ten years ago because oh, somewhere seen off um, off Central America on some research cruises down there. Okay, Um which that was a kind of a range expansion, or they they were considered really rare in that area. So. I remembered the, yeah. the cover shot of that bird there and I was like, Oh, I think that's that South American bird. What What's it called? A swallow tailed gull. And, and I, I did a quick search on my phone before posting about it just to make sure I yeah had the name right.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you, you got it right. That was, got that, the word was, out what, that was a crazy bird.
1: People. Yeah. Um, and then my phone died basically. <laughs> um, so I spent another hour or two and people started showing up and, uh, by ten of the, ten or eleven o'clock in the morning, people had come up from Portland and oh, I'm sure. had seen the bird. And
0: by the next day, they were flying in from Texas and Florida. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of those people um, ended up refinding it about five miles north at a new site later in the day. Right. And the day after that, somebody found it twenty miles north of there. So twenty five. It was miles all over the place. The original yeah. place. Um, it ended up staying around about ten days or so, in a and being seen in four or five different locations, I think. Um,
0: yeah, that was one but, of the. But spectacular that was only my, maybe my
1: fifth fifth time going to the park, something like that. Wow! And now I've been hundreds of times. Um, sure. And I know <laughs> I'll never see anything that rare again, but it's well, been. Well, you don't very know that.
0: It's just the odds are. You never yeah, know.
1: Yeah. And I don't expect that.
0: That, that's one of the great things about birding, isn't it? That, you know, you can go to a place, it's just seems ordinary. You're not expecting anything unusual and then bingo, something happens. And, uh, and if you yeah. you know keep your mind open and your eyes sharp, you might find something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the great things about birding is it's, you never really know what you're going to see. And, and there's always, um, there's always new stuff to learn.
0: That is for sure. How, how, you know, you are truly an extraordinary birder. I mean, I think everyone who's been associated with you knows that you are really, really good. Uh, do you do you attribute? Uh, do you have any mentors, people who've been really important in your development as a birder? Would you say?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. When I when I first started getting a little bit more serious about birding, I was going started going to Winita. Bay Park near my house a lot more and. Um, Mary Francis Mathis, um, also lived in Kirkland and would go there regularly. So we'd, we'd team up and bird there. And then we both started birding elsewhere in the state, um, together more frequently. And then, um, I also, um, spent a lot of time birding with Tom Aversa who now moved back to new England, but right. we got out a lot and I learned a ton from him. Um, learned a lot from, learned a lot from a lot of people, um, A lot from uh, Steve Mladenov as well, Um, Mm -hmm. went birding with him quite a bit and Brad Wagoner and um, Charlie Wright, Ryan Shaw, um, just there's a lot of birders. um.
0: I'm sure there are. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, it it takes a village to uh, raise a great birder and uh, that village has accomplished that goal if that was a goal of theirs. So that's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. What do you, where do you see things going uh, in terms of birding for you Ryan? Are, are, are you do you have uh uh you know bucket list sort of things or places you want to go to? Do you have any particular, uh, what what really turns you on? What what gets you most excited?
1: Um well really I've gotten probably most into just like looking for birds that are migrating and getting really excited when I see a, a bird that I know is a migrant. Um So there's a lot of places, like some of the really good birding spots where you see huge amounts of birds all the time, it can be kind of hard to tell what's an actual migrant versus some bird that's really there. So that, I guess this isn't exactly answering your question, but that's been one really cool thing about birding places like South Lake Union, where there aren't many birds that you'd expect. Um, Because when you do see a bird that's not one of maybe the only twenty expected species. You know, it's it's moving around somewhere. So that it's
0: either migrating of or a vagrant or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some some sort of moving around. So that's been a really cool thing that I've been um, getting more tuned into in recent years. Is um, kind of get, getting the timing down more on some of the more common species that are harder to tell what they're doing, like American robins, for example. Are they You can see them every day of the year around here, but they definitely have movements. And um, around this time of year, their numbers greatly increase. And um, some of these are just local movements. And you don't really know whether these are birds that are just moving a few miles or versus birds that are coming from a long ways away. Um, So like um, another area I've spent a lot of time birding in the last 10 years is the upper Skagit Valley kind of mm-hmm. in the foothills of the Cascades, but it's a really low elevation valley that's surrounded by mountains just a few miles away that go up 5,000 feet or more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in the, win- the winters are pretty harsh up there, but you, you do see starting in late January, migration starts up there. Um, and at first it's, it's probably just pretty local dispersal with the red-wing blackbirds, um, but they start showing up in like late January in places where they didn't winter.
0: It is amazing how early they come back.
1: And then, yeah, they're kind of on the move through the early spring. Um, that's been really interesting. So I want to, yeah, certainly keep keep looking for for any signs of migration. And um, the biggest thing is just continuing to, to get out, um, which I think will be maybe more challenging um, with the family, family obligations. But yeah. Um, it's I've been doing a lot more local birding um, which has been fun um, well, if
0: you're really really lucky one of your children will be into birding that would be hitting the bonanza I don't I if see, I knew how I know, to yeah. uh if I knew how to foster that interest I would share the secret I did not hit the jackpot with that with my kids uh they they would joke that uh oh dad you're just gonna take us bird
2: watching again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh,
1: so so far so good but she's still really young so she yeah she sees like uh, we were working in the yard the other day and then she she stopped and looked up and saw a gull fly over and goes oh not (laughs) just
0: bird she's good
1: and my wife rolls her eyes and is like what did i get myself into
0: yeah really really Well, but well, good see. for I'm her. A, I well, to he- try not
1: try not to push it too much, but
0: you need to start her an eBird account and you can put gull species on it for her as her first bird.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been keeping notes here and there of birds that like she's really seen. Um Yeah. Like Stellar's jay was her first bird um and, and she's right. it's still probably her favorite bird.
0: Yeah, uh, they are a pretty cool bird.
1: She loves crows, she loves ducks um and, and gulls so. Yeah, um, and she knows well, all them and gets really excited whenever she sees them. So
0: very cool. When I when I first came to Washington, literally the first time I'd ever been. Well, not if the first first time I came here after I started birding. Uh, I my mm-hmm. wife was a birder before I was, and we came out looking for a place to live when I when we moved out here. And uh, uh, a stellar's jade just popped down in front of the car somewhere. I don't remember where it was, oh, but it was cool. like you know twelve feet away. And I'm like. Oh my goodness, that is mm-hmm. beautiful. It was so cool. Uh, this things, you know, now you you don't look at them so much. Uh, but
1: but yeah, yeah. they're wonderful. But
0: they are a glorious bird. Very nice. So Ryan, thanks so much for being my guest today. I appreciate you taking the time away from your, away from your work and your uh, uh, day off. I'm sure you have lots to do. Uh, and. Uh, uh, Tell your daughter thank you for taking such a nice nap, and oh, yeah, I well appreciate been. you being on. Uh, Ryan, yeah, thanks uh, for me. This is fun. Yeah, I'll make sure I uh, share your email address you mentioned earlier. That's the best way for people to reach out with you. I'll put that yeah. in the podcast yeah. notes, so if anybody wants to uh, reach out, they can do it that way. And uh, thank you so much again. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Have Take care. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast episode number fifty-three with Ryan Merrill. I really appreciate Ryan taking the time out of his busy schedule to be with us today. He's an informative and interesting guest. I had a really nice time talking with him. I hope all of you find a way to reach out to others in the birding community, a good time to make a phone call, uh, You know, uh, get together, meet somewhere, go for a walk outdoors, keeping your distance and not sharing optics, of course, but uh, to keep our social, uh, social interaction interactions going we're a social community as birders and are missing a lot of that now Uh, so reach out to your friends of course make sure you call non-birders too we need reaching out to. but uh, look after our community in any way that you can i'll make sure i leave ryan's email in the podcast notes so if you want to touch bases with him you can Uh, but until next time i appreciate you listening good birding good day